Welcome back to the Mumbrella Cast. I'm Callum Jasmine, and today QMS is rolling out its attention study with Karen Nelson Fields Amplified Intelligence nationally, just as its own City of Sydney street rollout is catching attention for all the wrong reasons. Then we tick off some final bits from Sevens Upfront. But if you want to hear more on that from the source, we have a standalone interview with the networks, Kurt Burnett and Nat Harvey in your feeds yesterday. And finally, we'll take a look at the relationship between brands and sport teams as two of our national sport teams have had their major partners pull the plug in the last week. Joining me today is acting deputy editor, Emma Shepard. Hey, Em. Hello, hello. Bit of a mouthful. And journalist Kalila Welch, a bit easier on that one. Hey, K-Dog. Yeah, you're welcome. Any sore heads after last night, the two of you? Yes, slightly. Slightly wounded this uh, this morning. Saw you enjoying a few uh, cheeky champagnes there. I definitely did. It was fun. It was fun to see everyone. Live event. It was it was a good time. I managed to, uh, to avoid the sugary cocktails, so I think I was a bit better this morning, but... Um, a fun night, nonetheless. Yeah, well, I, f- I found the sugary cocktails to be a bit light on the actual alcohol, but it's not always, not always a bad thing at these events. It's not always um, the case, either. It was, it was like cordial. They went down a treat. Great branding for a farmer wants a wife, though. So, uh, yeah. So just for the sake of variance, let's not begin with seven, and let's kick things off with um, the QMS storyline that we mentioned before. After finally starting its rollout after winning one of the most valuable outdoor contracts in Australia, the city of Sydney in 2020, um, this then was followed up with multiple upon multiple delays um, and QMS and city of Sydney are now hitting pause on a slate of its communications pylons, essentially um, billboards that are in the middle of the payment. <laughs> now, this is all a time when QMS uh, is launching its out-of-home attention study with Professor Karen Nelson-Field as of today, as you would have read uh, potentially this morning being Wednesday. It's been a bit of a bumpy start to life together for QMS and the city of Sydney, hasn't it, Kalila? Can you take us back to where things all started uh, between the two of those? Yeah, Carl, I'm happy to give a little bit of history. So as you mentioned, uh, the deal was first signed back in June 2020. It was a 450 or reported $450 million deal. Um, It came after a couple of years of kind of false starts and negotiations after the JC to Co contract was supposed to end in 2018. And I believe they had a couple of extensions before the new contract was finally awarded to QMS um, again in 2020. Um, As you said, there's been a bunch of delays throughout the last couple of years thanks to COVID restrictions um, and some of the horrible weather conditions we've been treated to in Sydney, which both have impacted supply chains and, um, you know, workforce and and labour supply as well. So there's been a lot of delays um, in getting it started and the rollout is still in motion if nearing the end. Um, though it was originally supposed to be completed, I believe, by August, but it, it's still, as as we mentioned, it's still ongoing. Yeah, and uh, I, I guess if you haven't um, if you haven't seen any of these, um, as they're referred to, communications pounds, it's it's essentially like the side of a bus shelter, except a bit wider and with no actual functionality <laughs> of a bus shelter to go with it. Um, 
Yeah, know? I think they're about uh, 80, let me I think it was 86, 86 inches. 86 inches yeah. wide and and apparently they are in place of uh, former phone box spots but, um, you know, as, as we all know, there hasn't been a large amount of phone boxes around for some time so it's not surprising that people are shocked by uh, the volume of signage that's on the streets at the moment. I mean, I, I'm I'm staying in the city while I'm up here and I, I saw one of them, I walked past one of them and, you know, it does, you know, even when you do see it online and then you see one in real life, it's like, you know, a bit, a bit jarring, mm. I would say. Um, so the mayor, Clover Moore, has, um, has said that they, uh, in consultation with QMS, are being paused for now, the rollout of the, the rest of them. Um, Kalila, is there any idea of how many have been installed so far? Uh, how many are to be installed that are being paused or scrapped? And I guess um, how many are going to be removed if they've given any indication of that? And I guess uh, also another question, if there's any indication of how much this is all costing? Mm, many questions. And I'll just take a quick step back first of all. Um, so there has been a bit of a change in tune from Clovermore. You know, just a few weeks ago um, after the Sydney Morning Herald first reported on the kind of issues with pedestrians and the, and the signage, she made a number of comments in defence of the new signage saying that some benefits require trade-offs um, and that while they were new and familiar, unfamiliar, the, as I mentioned before, the vast majority were installed in the same location and similar width to old phone booth billboards. Uh, and as as you mentioned before to me as well, prior to the podcast, she said that some people might just have to walk in single file. Um, so yeah, just on that, it is it is interesting given the number of kind of accessibility um, concerns this would bring about, not just for everyday pedestrians, but obviously people that might have a little bit more difficulty getting around. Um, but you, you would assume that the um the the company's tasked with. Uh, rolling out street furniture would have probably taken that into account, wouldn't you? Especially when you've got lines, what was the line? Humans walking like ducks one by one. Mm, yeah, that was the headline. And um, yeah, there usually is a little, a bit of community consultation with these kind of projects. So unsure as to whether they've just asked people that really love out of home advertising or um, whether there's, you know, potentially they haven't been so concerned about that mobility issue, but uh, moving on. I'll just say as uh, as you have been talking, Kalila, the uh, acting managing editor, Andrew Banks, has uh, entered the room and joined the podcast. So uh, a light but warm welcome, Banksy. Nice of you to finally join us, Banksy. Yes, just got back from the upfront. So it's nice to be here. Yeah, mm -hmm. well, um, you, I think you were last one standing, weren't you? I believe so. Sorry, Kalila, you were um, you were saying. Carry I on. was saying. So, um, of um, there's been 150 panels included in the original plans, with 52 remaining to be installed, um, as well as 30 bus shelters that are yet to be installed. So, um, assuming I've done the right maths, that is 98 pylon, um, pylons that have already been installed. Um, we don't know yet how many how much this figure is going to change. Uh, so Clover Moore has said that she's asked the city CEO to consult with QMS to review the placement of the pylons and get rid of any that are causing the most issues for pedestrians. Uh, so we get to know exactly the figure that are going to be removed or, 
you know, if they're not going to make any more, sorry, if they're not going to add any more at all, or if they're going to just reduce the number that are left to go up. As for how much this is going to cost, um, you know, I can only speculate. I wasn't able to find any firm figures, but one can only imagine that QMS is going to have a few of their own costs, you know, with the pause being in loss of advertising dollars and not being able to get on as many um, advertising partners as they'd probably hoped by this point. Something that's already been so delayed over the last couple of years, you know, they've paid this massive sum of money and you'd assume they would have hoped to have things out on the street or more things out on the street at the moment. Um, and I've also kind of seen around as well that there is um, people are assuming as well City of Sydney is going to have to pay contract variations to QMS, obviously, to compensate yep. for those losses as well. So I'm pretty sure it will be quite uh, an expensive ordeal for these last-minute changes. And uh, while I think of it, QMS, if you do have anyone listening, there has been one of your digital billboards uh, has had no light on it. It's been out of action on Hoddle Road in Melbourne for quite some weeks now. So there's a little... PSA for you. Little heads um, up. <laughs> so I'm sorry to come at you again, Kalila, but uh, you did speak to um, Nelson Field and Christian Zavich, uh, the Chief Strategy Officer at QMS yesterday, um, not about that same storyline, but about the um, attention study, which they have just completed in the Gold Coast. Um, what, what did they have to say about that? Yeah, so this was um, basically a test study that they were running before eventually um, rolling out a national study of the attention of out-of-home advertising, specifically in the case of QMS, digital out-of-home advertising. So Zavich said that the purpose of the study was about offering their own clients a better understanding of attention on out-of-home properties which would in turn help them to create more effective campaigns. Uh, ultimately, they also spoke about obviously moving the out-of-home industry forward. And a lot of this is about standardising the types of measurement that we're looking at in terms of um, out-of-home reach and attention because uh, my understanding is that previously this was um, studied by surveying people. So obviously kind of similarly to radio relied on memory whereas this uses very, very similar metrics um, or in the words of Nelson Field, pretty much exactly the same metrics as your TV, cinema or mobile, which is um, facial recognition and facial tracking, um, privacy compliant, of course. Uh, they also did introduce a new technology, which is called pose tracking, which apparently detects whether the viewer of the ad is a human or a dog, which I assume is quite important when considering um, matters of advertising effectiveness and attention. Well, there were there were I think recently um, I think it was nineteen crimes potentially did some mini billboards for dogs. Um, <laughs> so potentially, I think Uber Eats might have done that as well. So yeah, maybe advertising for dogs is the next um, big next tech frontier. innovation. So. I think anything for dogs is going to be a winner. People yeah. will spend money for their dogs. That's what we know more than anything. And. Um, while it is uh, the the topic of attention is 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 one that you know we can only uh, dip our toes into in this discussion. Em, you were at the IAB Measure Up conference yesterday, where you said there was a pretty interesting presentation on it uh, in Australia. Anything uh, come out of that one that took your fancy? 
Absolutely. Um, so I went along to Rep Mumbrella. It was a fantastic event. Thanks to Gay for uh, having Mumbrella along. But one of the sessions that really popped out at me uh, was called What Advertisers Must Get Right Right Now to Connect with Aussie Consumers. And this was with speaker Nicole Jones, who's the Senior Vice President of Growth and Strategy at Cantar. Uh, so it wasn't so much out of home focus, which we were talking about before, but it's an overall stat on creative campaigns. And she mentioned that after someone has seen a creative in Australia, it takes one week for two thirds of Australians to purchase something after seeing an ad, which I found really interesting. So I wanted to share it with everyone. Uh, And she also said to have a successful campaign, it's vital to really capture people's attention, obviously, by using three things, make sure it's entertaining, evokes emotion and engages the audience. And the more trusted brands in Australia tended to run better quality, more relevant and less repetitive or intrusive advertising. So that's that's the main main bits and bobs that I got from that that session. So um, coming up next after the break, Seven gives us balloons, haystacks, but sadly no fireworks. Boom. Boom. It was Seven's turn last night at the Upfronts with an event at the Entertainment Quarter uh, Hoyt Cinemas in Sydney. Um, Some top-line info or announcements from the event were new programming and returning uh, favourites, a content deal with NBC Universal that sees it launch the Bravo brand locally as Seven Bravo with thousands of hours of streaming on Seven Plus to go along with that a partnership with gaming tech firm Aura, and we get closer to the launch of Code 7 Plus. M, we have uh, a lot of content on the site that you can go and read, but uh, I guess what were your key takeaways from this one? Anything you found particularly interesting or anything that was uh, missed throughout all that? Yeah, so the thing that I found the most fascinating from the upfronts was the 7 Bravo free-to-air channel announcement. I have changed my tune slightly from this morning, which was I don't know if it will work in terms of getting, you know, eyeballs on screens because it's all old content, all old reality and crime content. And if you're a reality TV buff, you're probably going to spend the $6.99 at HeyU or on Foxtel or Binge where they have fresh, you know, US, straight straight from the US seasons um, and it's all new content. But I think that with 7 Bravo, it will really round out the audience profiles of their existing multi-channels, but with more of a stronger and slightly younger female skew. So I I really liked that announcement. And also, obviously, you know, who isn't excited about Australian Idol coming back? I am. And I think that uh, the fact that they have Kyle Sandilands on board, I think people love to hate him. He's controversial. But I think he's going to bring some big numbers and potentially could be a ratings win for seven. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting. I mean, some they do have, because I, I looked into it after we were discussing that as well, um, um, content like I think it's Love Boat Down Under. There's only one season of that, but that was a 2022 show. So they do have some new stuff. Um, it's a shame that Kardashians, which was a big uh, winner for that content slate, has gone to Disney. But I guess in return, they've got the Housewives franchise. The slate, as you mentioned there, um, sort of seems like doing a bit of gauging 
in the the room last night and since um speaking to some media agencies it's, it's i think it was all received quite differently in some parts um you know we had comments from ranging from there was a great balance of content to um another saying that it was uh it was a fucking boring presentation um so yeah you do get the feeling that um as you said then uh and kind of trying to round out that audience profile you know the quote yesterday on the interview we had with them um i think it was kurt said that they want uh bravo to do what seven with females what seven mate has done for the network with um with males um seven have quite heavily said that they're targeting younger audiences but you know anecdotally people saying that i don't think they're quite there yet because a lot of the programming doesn't quite have that appeal to um those younger audiences obviously something like idol has that nostalgia aspect to it bringing back kyle and bringing back marsha hines and some of those familiar faces but you know for people who are probably around the 20 the 25 year old mark maybe aren't as familiar with that i think i think what i i actually really enjoyed it i think what you said earlier um cal about the the impression was was polarizing or varied uh, you know i actually had a really good time watching the, the the upfront the launch was really good there was quite a lot of content there i think for me the the fifa women's world cup i guess speaks to what you and Emma are talking about with the younger female vote as well. I think that um, for the audience, I think that's going to make a big difference them them snaring that. What do you think? I, I think the FIFA World Cup has the potential to capture pretty much all audiences. I mean, this is was kind of, you know, the, the way I was seeing it was, you know, you've got a men's World Cup coming up this year, but then you've got a home local in the right time zone women's world cup with a team like the Matildas that are, you know, one of the better teams in the world mm. comparatively to the, the, the soccer ruse. I think, you know, we have a situation like Ash Barty going deep or like Nick Kyrgios going deep in the tennis, um, you know, it could really be a smash hit. Mm. Yeah. I just wanted to add that earlier on the year, I know that KO did a, a study and it revealed that 50% of you know, people that were watching women's sport were male, which I found oh, interesting. Really? I thought I'd just share that. Yeah, nice one. Share that, share that piece of information. <laughs> <laughs> and Kalila, your first in-person upfront, what was your impression and what stood out for you? Um, I found it really interesting how uh, intentional it felt, you know, the setting at um, Hoyt's and the Entertainment Quarter um, and being, you know, in those cinema rooms, it felt like it had that really intentional focus on the content. Obviously, um, the actual upfront itself was also, you know, fully video pre-recorded content, you know, movie feel and they, you know, fitted out everything with, you know, the popcorn and the candy bar. Um, it was very on theme, which I liked, first of all. I think um, one of the most exciting things I mentioned, which I haven't heard discussed in that much depth, was um, the improvements they're going to make to their BBOD service 7 Plus um, with that new Aura technology. Um, I think that'll be really interesting and even just anecdotally really nice to see because I don't know how much you guys have used BVOD services, but often they are, you know, really clunky in comparison to some of the the big SVOD services like, you know, Netflix and Binge and and so on, which um, 
for me anyway, means that I don't use them because I can't be bothered. I can imagine it's different if you're watching a sport that you can't get anywhere else. But um, I think that'll make a difference in terms of people tuning in as well as um, the new Seven Bravo content that'll be uploaded directly in there. I think that people will be looking more and more to the BeBot service. Do you think it was a, uh, a letdown not having an in-person presentation? I know we got like um, James and Kurt introducing in the separate cinemas and then do you think the focus went to all the slate? Do you think that was a, the right thing to do for seven compared to say nine, which you didn't go to, but that was a more of a uh, in-person event? To be honest, I think personally for my first upfront, I would have preferred you know, the kind of extravagance, that would be cool. Mm. But I do recognise that there's no point seven trying to just copy what nine does, as you know, and like then they're just trying to do the same thing. It's like who can do it best? But I think it was smart to take a completely different approach and just completely mm. position themselves as a different thing. Yeah, so I, as much as it's maybe a little bit less fun, um, it makes sense strategically. And it's a shame as well, Kalila, because you were going to be investing a lot of your personal money in the, uh, in the network in the coming <laughs> They've year. They've really lost a, a very important <laughs> customer, I have to say. But. Well, to, to your point on BVOD there, uh, Kalila, I think it's been an interesting trend across the year where we have seen the um, networks put a focus on kind of really pushing forward that BVOD product because, you know, as you mentioned with the the pressure of the streamers coming in with reduced prices and ad services, they really are going to have to, I guess, um, make themselves work for it. So it'll be interesting to see how that um, yeah how that plays out. I think going back to what Emma said too the about Idol, I think revamping the format, I know it does go back to a lot of the old tropes and things like that but I, I just feel that it, it, it's still interesting enough for me um, and you know I'm getting a bit on in age now but I'm still I was really interested in that that um, promo for it and I think I definitely will at least check out one or two episodes and see how how much different or the same it will be. And M, just quickly, you've been to Nine, Paramount, Seven, and Foxtel in person. Um, while they obviously all bring a very big, different number of things into the table in terms of their offerings, were there any? I guess was there was there one theme that stretched across all of them that you've seen so far? I think just the big emphasis on news and sport for all of them, I, and I know that Seven does that quite well. They're the top of the charts in terms of like the best broadcaster in news, and they've got the AFL. But in comparison to the other upfronts, I'd say, you know, you had Paramount and Nine and Foxtel senior execs speaking live at the event, all of them. I know that in my cinema there was Kurt Burnett. He did mention that, you know, it's not about the fireworks and all the bells and whistles, that it was just wanting, they wanted to just really hone in on the fact that it's all about content. So I think they did a really brilliant job. And lastly, after the break, we are going to talk about the two national teams that have had their major partners pull the plug. So last week, Cricket Australia and Alinta Energy were reported to be parting ways as of 2023. Shortly after, it was reported that the national team skipper, Pat Cummins, had said that he would not be appearing in any more ads for the team's major energy sponsor. Cricket Australia confirmed that at no point did any conversation between men's team captain Pat Cummins and Cricket Australia CEO Nick Hockley influence Alinta's decision to finish its sponsorship with Cricket Australia in June 2023, a statement from the cricketing body read. 
Then last week, Gina Reinhart pulled her $15 million sponsorship of Netball Australia after the team refused to wear the Hancock prospecting logo on their uniforms in support of Indigenous player Donnell Wallum. So I, I guess this has brought about um, a wider conversation about, I, I guess, the, the the ethics of brand and sport sponsorship and those players wearing those brands on their uniforms. Um, where are we now within this kind of conversation, Kalila, and how is the, the Netball Australia situation playing out, which is obviously a little bit more intricate than that cricket um, that cricket deal itself? Mm, so I'd say overall, like, um, you know, between these two issues, the conversation is very much, a, you know, there's the side of these players are woke and they're, you know, virtue signalling and all of that. And then on the other side, people are obviously standing by people for sticking up for their values. It's really complex. It's uh, And it's hard to separate from your own personal values as well. But obviously, strategically, these sports codes need the money. Um, or these sports teams need the sponsorship money. In the case of Netball Australia, um, I've done a little bit of research. And, and though there are some kind of conflicting um, comments, uh, I understand that the situation as it evolved is that um, Indigenous player Donald Wallum had some reservations about the sponsorship due to comments from Gina's father, Lang Hancock, back in 1984, which I'm not sure if you guys have seen the footage, but were pretty awful. Um, and for that reason, I believe she sought um, she sought an exemption from wearing the Hancock prospecting logo for a match against England. Um, and I believe that a couple of her teammates stood um, stood alongside her and also requested the exemption. The exemption was rejected um, and apparently, according to Player Association head Catherine Harvey-Williams, the team did ultimately um, agree to playing with the logo and all was supposed to be going fine, even though they were disappointed with how the proceedings had gone. Um, somehow between then um, and now, this has kind of all fallen out and Gina Reinhardt has obviously pulled very the 15. Very publicly as well. Very publicly and she's pulled the $15 million sponsorship, um, which is, you know, particularly bad for Netball Australia given that they're in a debt of around $7 million at the moment. Um, yeah, there's, there's been commentary from all sides as I mentioned. I thought Andrew Gaze's comments were very interesting um, on the topic, um, talking about how it really is a case for how he sees it as something where in order for things to move forward that Gina should should disavow her father's comments and, and say that she doesn't believe in, in, in that, you know, and it was the wrong thing to say at the time and, and just move things forward and apologise um, for, for the upset that caused and that could move things forward. I thought that was a quite a, a reasonable mm. way to, to move it from here. Um, well, but interestingly, um, Gina Reinhardt does have quite a long involvement with sport teams and in particular Australian national team bodies. Um, read on the ABC that you can find the Hancock logo on the home pages of the Australian Olympic Committee, um, the Rowing Australia, Volleyball Australia, and and she's um, also been involved in swimming, but um, kind of from what I understand has been much more involved in the personal athlete side of things than the the, the team side of things in the past. Um, I did speak to uh, sports rights media expert Colin Smith, um, who essentially said it's, you know, 
as we said before, this should have really all been handled in private other rather than in both cases playing out as it did. Um, you, you know, also, I guess there are some tricky aspects to it. Um, kind of, you know, spoken about in this podcast before, where do you draw the line in terms of those sponsors? And in the case of netball, if that sponsorship goes and they're very much in need of it, who's going to step in and, you know, quite likely a lot of these major categories that have previously had heavy investment in sports, such as, you know, uh, beer companies or auto companies are not really from top to bottom, really getting involved that much more. And then you're left with, you know, these kind of gambling companies, which are so closely associated with sport now. And again, there are ethical uh, concerns with that. So it is, um, it's a, a bit of a, a bit of a tricky one. Um, and just, just out of interest, I did get a little list of some of the top sports partnerships with, uh, bodies in the country. It just gives you an idea, I guess, which, um, which categories are still involved. We do have, um, across the top five sporting codes by advertisement, um, Australian open has the largest sponsorship with Kia, which is 20 million. That's a very long standing um, partnership. It also has Lujiao Lao Jiao Spirits, which is 20.5 million per year. The NRL has a $15 million per year sponsorship with Telstra. The AFL has a 18.5 million sponsorship with Toyota. And then um, some of those big ones, uh, Sportsbet has an 8 million with the AFL and 12 million with the NRL. Cricket Australia has a 3.5 million sponsorship with Bet365. And then you've got, you know, this um, Alinta sponsorship with Cricket Australia, so 6.5 million per year. And then the NRL um, has a deal with Ampol and both Rugby Australia and Australian Open have uh, pretty significant deals with Santos. So pretty consistent across the board. And we're seeing those are the kind of um, partnerships that are becoming increasingly more prevalent in sports. I guess it's also worth adding that speaking to Smith the other day, he did mention that um, obviously um, important to acknowledge that our economy does rely quite heavily on um, some of these companies that we have mentioned and that they do actually provide that support to um, put further investment in areas like sustainability. Yeah, interesting. Um, I saw a post from Chris Walton from Non Media um, this morning. Uh, had a couple of things. He, I mean, the gist of what he was saying was time for toys to be put back in prams was his line. I thought that was quite interesting. He says, like it or not, it is naive in the extreme to think that what elite sports people do or say does not have an impact on the sponsorship of their sports. Uh, he says sponsorship has always been a riskier form of marketing with the potential for brilliant returns. This goes for sports sponsorships in particular and event content sponsorships more generally. And he says this is this event, this particular episode is further evidence to that. So, um, This is just circling back specifically to the Netball Australia case, but I do think it does have – it is a little bit different to other cases because of the personal nature, obviously, of the issue at hand, like when it comes to something um, that is connected to, you know, an Indigenous player 
speaking out against comments that were really, really harmful comments that were made and, you know, over decades and decades of, of history of hurt um, in, in Indigenous communities, you know, it, it's a little bit different to have, having a disagreement with an environmental concern, which obviously is really important. But I think that um, it's really difficult to hold these kind of players um, to account. Well, I think um, it will be fascinating to see uh, if another brand does sort of swoop in and save the day here because, you know, that could, um, you know, it's been quite an unfortunate way that this has all played out, I think, for most involved. Um, and, you know, you don't want to see um, the national team of netball get, um, I guess, stuffed over in the uh, in the process. So, uh, yeah, we'll see how that one plays out. But um, otherwise, that is it for this week. Uh, no interview as we sent that out as it's standalone yesterday. Make sure that you're subscribing to the Umbrella Cast on your podcast platform of choice. We'll be back next week with another upfront special, this time with O-Media's Kathy O'Connor. But for now, Emma, Banksy, Kalila, thank you for joining me. Cheers, Cal. Thank you. Thanks, Cal. And thanks again. Oh, there's no one else to thank. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> thanks again, everyone. <laughs> yeah. Bye for now.